you may be seated. Amen. Amen. Man, there's so much going on. It's uh, great to be together with family. You know, sometimes when there's stuff we don't understand, the best place we could be is with family and whanau, those that we can count on, we can trust, and we can love. So it's great to have you with us. If you're a visitor amongst us, if you're just popping through town, we welcome you. It's great to have you with us. We, uh, we just hope that you feel safe while you're with us. We hope that you enjoy your time here. If you have any questions, then you can see myself or Ash, who was up here before. Uh, if you've got any questions at all about what's going on here, please come and make yourself known to us. We had a, a, a cool prayer time this morning. We called prayer at 9.30 just for those that could gather specifically to pray uh, for Christchurch and everyone involved in that situation. And uh, as we prayed, uh, Shani shared a picture of the long white cloud. It was a beautiful picture. Aotearoa means the land of the long white cloud. And if you remember, when the people of God journeyed through the desert, the cloud of God's presence led them. It was a symbol of God with us. And I just feel to affirm that as a word of hope for New Zealand, that God's cloud is over us, his presence is with us, we are not alone. But can I, I can't help but translate that into your world. Because of Jesus Christ, each one of us has an invitation to have him as Lord and therefore acknowledge God's presence in our lives in every moment. And so if you think about that story of old where the cloud of God's presence was over the tabernacle, where the tent of meeting was. Do you remember that? Okay. And, and, but now, where is the temple of the Holy Spirit now? In us. So every single one of us can have this cloud of God's presence over us in every circumstance. And may that give you hope. Richard prayed, quoted the, 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 the prayer of Hagar. She was hiding hoping to die with her son Ishmael, Jehovah Elroy came and found her. You are the God who sees me, she said. May that encourage you, whatever your circumstances are, whatever your grief is, whatever your journey, may you know that God is with you. Okay, today is a very important day in the life of our church history, and I'll explain why in a second. Before I do, um, I can segue from Christchurch again. The name of Christchurch is significant, people. Christ's church, the anchor of the foundation of that city when the people came to build the city, the first founding fathers, they laid it out, mirroring what they had at home in the UK, but they laid it out with Christ at the center. And that, that should speak hope in that situation. Names are very, very powerful. Each one of us has a name. I wonder if we know what it means. Each one of us is given a, a, an identity as we, as we move forward. And we don't place a lot of uh, importance on it necessarily, but, but I know when we, Kathy and I, were naming our children, we deliberated over names in that we would search out what God was saying about those children that were going to become part of our lineage, part of our family, part of our heritage. And there are specific meanings for us behind the names that we chose for Jackson and for Grace that have God and family intertwined in them and that their name declares who they are as part of something bigger than just one generation or one situation. Names are really, really powerful. 
This local church here in Te Awamudu was originally called Rosetown Community Church. was founded in April 1985. And on that day, our founding pastor, Pastor Brian, stood up on a box and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. He declared that the people of God had a mandate to lead others into an encounter with God's love. That was 1985. But the mandate of God's people hasn't changed. We too are called as God's people with a mandate to lead others into an encounter with his love. So again, as we prayed this morning, let's not just pray and bless Christchurch without thinking about how can we serve people. You know, not all of us can go to Christchurch. Not all of us can be there to serve food or make meals or pray in the streets. But we can certainly be Christ's love in action. This morning... Uh, I've, I've uh, led you to a place where we believe as the church leaders that God is moving us into a new season. A new season that will be um, locked in, memorialized and anchored, I suppose, in uh, what I'm calling a rebirth. Rebirth. And, and one of the things of that is I've announced that we'll be um, declaring today the new name that God has given our church. So if you're part of our family, if this is your regular place of worship, then this is a significant moment, and I'm going um, to help you understand why it's so significant. I'm very excited, and I'm very nervous. Uh, not, not for the wrong reasons, but, you know, like, uh, kind of nervous, excited, like, first date. Kind of nervous, excited, like, buying your first house. Kind of nervous, excited, by, you know, like, uh, coming to have coffee with me. Nervous, excited. In John chapter 3, we read about this conversation that Jesus has with a man called Nicodemus. Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is asking questions. He's wrestling with this message that Jesus is speaking because it doesn't quite add up. And, and Jesus answers Nicodemus' question with, um, with this phrase. He says, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of the water and the spirit. And I can just imagine that conversation and Nicodemus got this blank look on his face. Like, the what? You know, and so Jesus keeps talking. Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 7, for those of you references, don't be surprised, Jesus says, when I say, you must be born again. A growing man, dignified of stature in the community, and Jesus says, you must be born again, and he's like, well, you're crazy. What are you on? Like, how can a man enter again his mother's womb to be born again? And Jesus says, no, you must be born of water and the Spirit. And Jesus shows up as a kingdom principle that for us to transition into a new space, God says you must be born again. You must, in fact, die. You must let go in order to obtain that which I have for you in the new space. There was a symbolism that God had when he transitioned people into a new world. You know, for those of us that would call ourselves Christians, we have certain language. We say, well, to be born again, you must confess Jesus but in doing so, you must choose to die to who you think you are. Not literally. It's a weird kind of thing, but it's about saying, okay, not me, but Jesus. Make sense? And all the Christians know what I'm talking about. If you're visiting and not sure, it's, it's a weird thing to get, but it basically means get, letting go of control, allowing Jesus to be in control. That's what it means to become a Christian, to be reborn spiritually, as it were. And I believe it happens more than once. Now, what I'm not saying, you can't quote me as saying we have to have salvation more than once. I'm not saying that. 
But I believe there are transitions in our life and seasons in our life where God says, hey, it's time to lay down, die again, for I've got a new season for you. And that means letting go of what we thought, what our expectations were, and, and jumping into what God says. I think, I think the best pray, prayer we can pray in that moment is, yes, Lord, the answer is yes. I just don't know what the question is. It's not a bad prayer to pray. And that's what's happening in this season for our church is I'm just calling it rebirth because we're being born again, we're being transitioned. And I announced late in 2018 that I felt the Lord was leading us into a place where he was birthing something in us for his purpose. But I need to explain that so that you can anchor it in what God has said and what God is saying. Because my job is to link the two together. This is not an isolated season. This is a season, as I said, that started in 1985, and there's been many seasons in the journey of this church community, and now we're moving into another season. And my job is to try and connect that all together. So today I'm going to make the announcement of what our new name is. The elders have deliberated prayerfully on this for some time. This is something that we have really searched God's heart about to make sure that this is not just a whim, a fad, a trend, or something that one guy came up with when he drank too much coffee one afternoon. You know, I, I want you to know that I take this very seriously. Yes, there are sleepless nights. Why? Because I want to search that God is with us in this decision. And, that, and I think that's really important. When I first heard the Lord speak with me about a new name and a new season, it was some time ago. And I spent a long time just by myself waiting to see if it really was God talking. Or was, was it the coffee? Or was it the, you know, I don't know, chocolate? But I really, as I read the scriptures, more and more and more, as I searched God's heart through the word of God, I felt that he was confirming what he was saying, which meant that I was, had permission to submit it to the eldership. The process of gaining approval was long, um, and it should be, because we really want to be sure that we're with God. So what I want to do is I want you to understand what we believe here, and that is this. There's a, there's a phrase I've got here. God ordains a name change to prepare us to receive his promise. God ordains a name change to prepare us to receive his promise. He demonstrates that he's sovereign. What does that mean? He's the king. What he says goes. Like there's no but God or no God. He's sovereign. When God speaks, he establishes something. And, and God does this many, many times. We will see in the scripture in a minute. But when God does this, I want you to notice, God anchors potential, spiritual potential for his divine plan. It's anchored in that, memorialized, it's established forever, the spiritual purpose of God's divine plan. God also confirms that he chooses to bless his people. For God always works, almost always works through his people. Sometimes a donkey, but mostly through his people. One time a donkey, let's be fair. But also, I think the other thing when God does this and we're certain that God's in it, he's bringing his assurance that well, he, will, he will achieve his purpose through his people. Make sense? When God does this and we're sure it's God, I say, say like transition and change sometimes feels like hell, but we know God's in it. You know, it's uncomfortable. It's, oh, yuck, you know, and we're in the desert and we're struggling and suffering, but we know God's with us. So what God is saying is that he's bringing assurance that his plan will be fulfilled through his people. That's you and me, all of us together. Are you in? Yep. You're saying you're part of God's people? Yep. 
So what does this mean for God's, God's people? Well, I have this phrase that I've been using about constructing things and establishing things. God's called us to gather as a family in his presence. God's called us through the giving of a new name to bring us into a place where we can see this. We have a corporate calling together. The corporate calling of, of us is that we would gather people as a family in God's presence. There is an outpouring that's coming that is not linked to me or the color of the seats or which Christian church we are part of. God has released a vision that he will pour out his presence in Te Awamudu. That revival is coming that looks like people encountering his love in the streets, not in the church building. But it's going to take the people of God to mobilize that. And then he's called us to follow that up by gathering them in as a family. That's why family is our number one value here. It will remain our number one value. That's not changing. We'd gather people as family because God models family through the Trinity. God models family through the Scriptures. But we're to gather people in his presence and establish them in him. So God prepares us to hold his promise by releasing a new name. There are many examples in the Bible. The most obvious one you probably think of first is Abraham. Abraham had a name that meant father. And all his friends would go, because he had no sons. He had no legacy. And he went to God complaining like, God, come on, seriously, you call me father, and that all my inheritance is going to go to my servant. God says, no, you'll be the father of many nations. And he calls him Abraham. Father of multitudes. God doesn't do that in isolation. He brings Sarai, the wife, the name that means princess, and he says, no, you will be the mother of nations. Establishing something in them, prophesying who he's called them to be. Make sense? Okay. Abraham has the promised son called Isaac. Isaac has two sons, and one of them is Jacob. Jacob goes on a long walk, and and one of those times when he's on a walk in Genesis 32, he has this wrestling match with a man who is God. Weird, I know, but it's called a theophany. It's an image, it's a physical man, but it represents God. And he contests for a blessing, and they fight all night. And and this theophany, this man God says, uh, man that is God says, hey, let me go. And Jacob says, I'm not going to let you. He's got him in the arm lock. He's I'm not going to let you go until you give me a blessing. Genesis 32, you can read that story if you'd like to. But verse 28, God says this to Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob. From now on, you'll be called Israel, because you fought with God and men and won. He contested for the blessing and the favor of God and says, well, now you're going to carry it. And and that name actually means having power with God. And and through, through this man, Israel, we see the 12 tribes of Israel born. Through Jacob. Read the story, it's fascinating. In John chapter 1, so jump to the New Testament, John chapter 1, but also in Matthew 16, we see a conversation between Jesus and his disciples, who are quite new at this disciple thing and not really sure what's going on. And and, and, and in Matthew 26, I just want to read this. It says, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed. You didn't discover this on your own. So Simon was one of the disciples. They had this conversation, and Jesus says, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed. You didn't discover this on your own. It was shown to you by my Father in heaven. So I'll call you Peter, which means a rock. 
And on this rock, I will build my church, says Jesus. And death itself will have no power over it. On that moment, Jesus takes a bumbling fisherman who put his foot in his mouth too often, who had no academic training, and he says, on your revelation, I will build my church. And Peter becomes a significant leader in the formation of the new church they called the Way, the Christians as they were then called. Peter became foundational as a leader in establishing how Jesus Christ wanted us all to live together. Why? Because Jesus saw something in him. God released a promise and he gave him a new name with prophetic potential that would cause him to step into who God said he would be. There's power. There's power in this. Every time... God wants to transition us into a new season. He calls us into rebirth. And often a rebirth means a new name, and a new name gives us significance. Because a new name prophesies what God says. Every time Abraham said, my name is Abraham, he was prophesying God has called me father of nations. Prophesying it out in belief. A new, cha- a new name changes us spiritually. We read that Abraham and Sarah, God credit to them the righteousness because of their faith when they believe what they couldn't see in the natural. Why? Because God said so. Hold on to that promise because God had given them a name. And a new name, when we use it, becomes a public confession of what we believe to be true. A public confession of what we believe to be true. So, so every time... We say our new name, we'll be prophesying, I believe, what God has given us for our future. So, today I'm going to talk about what is our new name, why is it our new name, and what does it mean for you? We've been working with a brand strategy company to come up with a new icon, a logo. We've engaged professionals in this because I can promise you a senior pastor is not qualified to do that. I mean, I drink a lot of coffee and I've got a great imagination, but I'm not that clever. So I've been working with a brand strategy company, and they've taken us on a journey to establish this as our new logo. This begins to represent who we are. So what does that mean? This is what we now say. Welcome to Zion. It gives me great pleasure. I'm excited to be able to say to you, welcome to Zion. And I'm going to explain to you why that is so powerful in a minute because you're all looking like possums in headlights right now. (laughs) So stand up. Come on, we've got to shift this. One of the things that gives me the greatest joy is to prophesy what God says to us as a family. So when you're not here and I'm praying, guess what I'm praying? What God said to us. So why don't we just do that together? Let's all just say, welcome to Zion. Let's go. Welcome to Zion. So turn to someone else and say, welcome to Zion. Go and find someone else too. Come on, go and find someone else that you can say, Welcome to Zion. Oh, you can sit down now. You still look like possum in headlights. Let's go to let's go to the scripture. Because this is not something that I made up. Let's look at Exodus first. Let's go pre-Zion. Let's go to Exodus 33. And let's go to verse 11. Moses, the leader of the people, is on the mountain. He's having a conversation with God, which is kind of like face-to-face conversation. can only imagine what that's like. And then Moses says this because God's saying, I've blessed you and get on your way. And Moses said this. Oh, no, wrong verse. Oh. 
God said that uh, if you don't go with us, don't make, it, make us leave this place. That's in verse 15 of Exodus 33. I must remember, I got confused on Thursday. I had three different, three different things open. So the verse is Exodus 33. Moses says, if you don't go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know or look upon us favorably, I mean your people, if you don't go with us? Because your presence amongst us sets your people and me apart from all the people on the earth. God's presence is the key there. So with Moses, so I'm building, I'm building you a picture. Moses, God said this. Your presence is what sets us apart from everyone else. Okay? That's what happened with Moses. So what does this mean for us? Well, here's a phrase that anchors this. God's dwelling place is our dwelling place. God's dwelling place is our dwelling place. And I want you to see this in Psalm 84. Next week, if you're um, with us, online or physically, I'm going to share a message that anchors this a lot more. So today I'm really skimming across the tops of some thoughts. There's a lot more behind this and I'm going to start unpacking it online and here. So next week we're going to go deep on something significant. But for today, I want you to look at Psalm 84, which is written by the sons of Korah who were like the worship team. So... Praise God, there's always been a worship team writing songs for us. This is a song for us to sing. Let's look at verse 1 and 2. I, I, I want you to see this in Scripture, not just what I say, but what God is saying. And I've wrestled with this, and there's much, much more. But let's say this. Psalm 84, How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts! My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for the joy to the living God. As the songs of Korah wrote this, what they're actually saying is, God, where you are, we want to be. God, I long to be in your courts. May I be where you are. God, they're singing. Your presence is the best place I could be. We're designed to live in God's presence. God's dwelling place is our dwelling place. Look at verse 4 of Psalm 84. How blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. They sing. What about verse 5? How blessed is the man whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. You see, created inside each one of us as God's children is this innate desire to find the pathway to God's presence and worship him there. Even those who are not yet saved or confessing Jesus as Lord, even those who have a different religion or pray a different way or have a different ritual or even are destructive. They're created by God in his image as his sons and daughters, and in them is an innate desire that they, de that they deny, but it's there that in their heart they would find a pathway to Zion, the dwelling place of God. Let's go verse 7. Each one will go from strength to strength. Each one of them appears before God in Zion. In the dwelling place of God, we bring ourselves before him in worship. So just as Moses met God face to face, so should we. So should we. That's why our theme this year is climb the mountain. Why? Because we should try to have a life of discipline where we go to the place where we come face to face with God. As a lifestyle, as a discipline. Not just something we do on Sunday morning between 10 and 11.30. A personal discipline that we get ourselves in that place before God. 
Finally, verse 10 and 12 finish this song. A day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly and just, O Lord of hosts. How blessed is the man who trusts in you. These guys are singing the song where they know that God's presence is where they are designed to live. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's dwelling place is your dwelling place. God's dwelling place is your dwelling place. This is where we are called to live, in his presence. Would it be okay if I showed you something else? Okay. All right. Let's have a look at something else. There's another scripture that I read to you recently. And uh, we'll just put that back up there so you can see it. There's another scripture I read to you in a service recently, and this is all about the invitation that we have to come into God's presence. Each one of us, no matter what our age is, no matter what our upbringing is, no matter even what we say our religion is or not, we're invited to come into God's presence, and there's been a made a way available by Jesus. You see, in the old days, you used to have to go to the priest, and he'd go into the tent, and he'd do a few things, and everything would hopefully go right for you. Simplified version. But Jesus, but Jesus, Son of God, comes to earth, makes a way for each one of us to come before God's holy presence. And I've been reading the scripture um, over the last wee while. You didn't realize I was subliminally programming you, but I was. It's true. Brainwashing. And I'm okay to say it. Why? Because your brain needs washing. Jamie thought it was funny. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. The writer of the book of Hebrews is drawing us to a place where we understand that Jesus is the mediator. In chapter 10, he's the guy. He's the son of God. No longer do you need to slaughter an animal to be accepted by God because Jesus is the perfect lamb who made a way for each one of us to come before God as his children. That's what Christianity is about. If you're searching and you don't know, that's the answer. It's a short story. Paul says to us, one of the writers of the Bible says, look, if you confess that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that he's the Son of God raised from the dead, then you'll be saved. You'll be saved from yourself, mainly. So, so, so this book is about leading us to understand that Jesus is the answer. And then the writer, the guy who wrote this, I'm not sure who it is, says in verse 18, you have not come to a physical mountain comparing to the old days, you have not come to a physical mountain, to a place flaming fire and darkness and gloom and whirling, um, whirling wind as the Israelites did in Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible, they begged God to stop speaking. This is Exodus 19, if you want to go back and look at it. They staggered back under God's command. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I'm terrified. I'm trembling. No, that is not your deal. That is not your situation, this, this person writes. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in joyful gathering. This is the inner place in heaven, the courts of heaven, the, the place of God's throne. 
You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You've come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. Here's the clincher, verse 24. You've come to Jesus, the one who mediates a new covenant between God and you. It says people, but um, let's make it personal. And to the sprinkled blood, which speaks forgiveness, instead of crying out for vengeance. Because of Jesus, a way has been made for everyone who would turn. A way has been made for us to come into God's holy presence. And that place is called Zion. That place where God dwells. Hallelujah. So I'm so grateful that Jesus made that way because without him, I'm stuffed. I was ruining my life. And then one day, I heard that, that voice and I said, well, who's that? I knew it was Jesus, but I still asked. And I surrendered all. And I said, Jesus, you be my Lord. And now, because of that, I have this place I can come. Not in fear and trembling, but to the presence of God himself, where God dwells, Mount Zion. So I'm excited to say to you, welcome to Zion. That's why I'm excited to say to everyone who walks into this house, welcome to Zion. Why? Because God's dwelling place is our dwelling place. Welcome to Zion. Guess what I'm going to say to you next week? Welcome to Zion. Come on. Okay. Can I show you one more thing? Is it okay? All right. Okay. No one's throwing rocks. It's good. Okay. Uh, Zechariah 9, which is where Ashley read from this morning. I want to go back a little bit and read you verse 9. Zechariah 9, verse 9. The, I love this verse. Zechariah is a prophet uh, speaking out the promises of God to people who were a bit confused. So if you count yourself in that, then just remember God speaks to us at all times. Look, he says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble riding on a donkey. Like a donkey's colt. Well, those of us that have been around church more than five minutes will remember who that is. It's, it's prophesying Jesus who's coming to us to bring victory. But in this, the prophet calls us the people of Zion. This is the conviction that I've come to as I've studied this, is that God's people are called people of Zion. I was sharing some things with someone just in the last week. And she said to me, hey, do you know what? When I was a brand new Christian, didn't know the Bible from back to front, didn't know anything. I just heard God whisper to me one afternoon that I was a daughter of Zion. She said, I don't know what it meant, but it felt good. Since then, she studied it. She understands the significance that God's called her into an intimate place, a holy place, where God says, you're my people. You're people of Zion. So what does that mean for us? Well, this is what we're going to call ourselves. Zion people. Zion people. We're people of Zion. We're Zion people. Put a lot of thought into this. And I'm wondering what God's doing, but I just feel like God is saying that we should be called people of Zion. We need to be anchored in who we believe we are. And I'm going to explain that a little bit in a minute. Because I suppose that's your choice.
So I want to land this. And this is, this is what I've got for you today. What I want each person to do is to, is to move away and think, okay, I need to make a decision. What does this mean for me? How am I going to respond to what God is saying to us corporately? How am I going to plug in? How am I going to align myself? Because we're not all independents. We're one of, part of something much bigger than ourselves. We're not islands. We're a body and we're connected. And each one must decide how they're going to respond, I suppose, to what God is saying to us. The elders, the spiritual leaders of the church, we, we resolutely believe in unity that this is what God is saying to us. We've locked it in. But now we're inviting you to do the same. And, and how we align will also, I suppose, determine how God moves through us. But before you make that decision this week, I want you to understand something really, really important. See, I need you to see that just perhaps this is bigger than you. Maybe, he says facetiously, perhaps the calling of the church is something bigger. And here's what I want you to see. What we mustn't do is look inward. What we must do is look outward. Okay? And I want you to consider this in context of where we're going. Everybody needs a spiritual home. Everybody in our town needs a spiritual home. Everybody in Christchurch needs a spiritual home. Everybody in Aotearoa, New Zealand needs a spiritual home. This is going to be one of our catchphrases. Why? Because everyone can relate to it. There's no argument that everyone's on a spiritual journey. It's way too many choices, but everyone's on a spiritual journey. Some of them find some internal light that they worship and follow. Some people find a, a statue. We, we spend a lot of time in Asia, and there's plenty of statues over there that people worship, monuments to, our, to their ancestors or a Buddha. Everyone needs a spiritual home. We're saying we provide a spiritual home. We provide a spiritual home where we're led to Jesus, the mediator of our faith, who presents us before God perfect as sons and daughters because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. This is a spiritual home where people can connect with that. Everybody needs a spiritual home. So, so it's not just about you, and it's definitely not about me. It's about those who are not here yet. Because if we become a church that's all about us and how comfortable we are and whether the seat's the right colour and what the coffee's like out there, or whether we serve your needs for your family, if we become that kind of church, Tiamudu is lost to damnation. So let's look outward. Let's go, you know what? We're a safe place. We're a spiritual home where we worship God, the one true God, the God who sent Jesus Christ as his son. Everybody needs a spiritual home. And I believe that what God's asking us to do is to make this a safe home, which means you need to be safe for other people to be with. We need to be safe in here. We need to not be religious and have all these weird words and, and so visitors don't understand what's going on. Man, if you're here visiting and you, you're still confused, please come and see me afterwards. Because I don't want us to be that kind of family. I want us to be welcoming and open and embracing. You know, um, God is leading us into a season of revival. And it's not dependent on me. 
not dependent on you. God is going to do it. But he needs us. He desires to use us. He wants to work through you and me. He wants to work through his children. It means when we're called in to God's family, we've got to help others find that safe place. We've got to help others find what we're calling the presence of God, Zion. We're Zion people, so we can say that this is a spiritual home. So when you consider how you respond to this, can you also consider that? That this is not about your comfort. This is about your calling. We're part of something bigger. So if you're someone that needs more information, uh, this is our new website domain, but there's no website. Because this is not a public rebrand. You are not going to come tomorrow and see all the signs changed and all the colours changed and all like that. This is the family conversation where we talk about it to allow you time to have it settle in your spirit. We are working on a public branding. We are working on getting things changed. And we're probably not going to do that until the beginning of May. And the reason for that, there's one reason. We're hosting something significant at Easter, and I don't want others to be confused where they're coming. Easter Friday, I want you to invite your friends, your neighbours, your workmates to a 30-minute presentation of the power of the cross. It's going to be arresting and convicting and an invite. But if I go out there using our new name, Where's Zion People, everyone's going to go, what? Where? Who? So this is the family chat where we can talk about it. Today's family table. Family table is about two-way conversation. So I'm going to be at the lake, and hopefully you are, and if you want, we can have a sandwich and a chat, because I'm open to that. Talk to the elders. They'll say the same thing I'm going to say. Why? Because we're all together on this. However, if you want more information, Eugene and I have been working on some videos, and that website there will point you to our new YouTube channel. And it will, it will show you some of these like three to four minute snippets of my heart and my thinking and what God's been saying. And, it, and it's just designed to help fill in some of the gaps. We're working on other messages that will go up there. Why? Because it's an easy media for us to use to get to many people. And you can watch it more than once and you can process it and then you can have the right questions. So zionpeople.nz will be our new website in the future. But for now... It points you to some videos. Okay. I think it's almost time to go for a swim. Why don't you stand? One of the things that's really, really important in our alignment is how we believe God is leading us, and that means in all parts of our life. And one of the things that we do as a discipline here uh, is we pray a prayer of blessing over our financial circumstances. You'll notice we don't pass around offering buckets. We don't have an offering speech every week and trick you into giving your money to Jesus. But we expect you to. Why? Because that's what followers of Jesus do. One of the things that really encourages me is when I hear testimonies of people who have had a significant miracle in their finances. And for some people, a significant miracle was having their groceries paid. For others, it's the eradication of debt that they didn't know how they were going to get through. For some people, it's a, it's a new client that they sign up for their business when they really need the money to pay their family bills. But we've got to believe that God wants to work in our lives. 
We've got to believe, we've got to have a conviction that God cares about your financial situation. And one of the reasons why I wrote this prayer, if you can put it up on the screen, guys, is, is this is a prayer of blessing. This is you confessing out loud what you should believe in your heart. But you're, you're, you're speaking out a prayer to get your spirit in alignment with what God says is true. Because this is all biblical. And so we're going to read this as we close because I want us to, to confess with our mouth that might lead our spirit. Because if you're not currently giving sacrificially to God's work and his church, then God will talk to you about that. Why do I know that? Because he does to me. As a leader, I'm called to, to give sacrificially. I'm called to extend myself. Why? Because I'm sold out. I'm sold out for the mission God's got me on. It means everything. Nothing is mine. Everything is his. You get to choose what that looks like for you. This prayer of blessing, the reason I left it to the end, was because when we say it together, we're in unity. If you don't agree with it, just don't pray it. Just mouth the words. But, but when you speak it, it's going to change your heart. Because I checked and God said he'd do it. Okay? All right, so let's pray this together. And then when we say amen, I'm just going to speak a blessing the, uh, what do we call it? The bishop's blessing over you? No, not at all. I'm just going to speak a benediction and uh, a benediction over you and then we're going to finish. Okay, so let's pray this. As we bring our offerings to the Lord, we are believing his goodness will bring jobs and better jobs, increase to income and profit, sales and commissions, favorable settlements, I trust God with my finances. He will meet all my financial needs. God may bless me through hard work, debts being paid off, expenses decreasing through surprise gifts and gifts. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have blessed me with. You have given me provision that I may have more than enough to give into the kingdom of God. May the name of Jesus be glorified through my giving. Amen. Lord, I thank you for family. I thank you for the journey that you've got us on. I thank you that you have commissioned us as your people to dwell in your presence. Lord, we choose to call ourselves Zion people. Why? Because we believe you've spoken. We believe you've called us as part of the local church to host your presence and make a safe place for others to come in. So Lord, I bless these ones here and those who are watching online as Zion people. I bless them as sons and daughters of God Most High. I bless them that the favor of God would be on them in all areas of their life as they come into your glorious presence. I bless them with safety. I bless them with health. I bless them with provision. I bless them with joy. I bless them with the fellowship of God Most High. May they know that your smile is on them, that no matter what they're in, you're with them. I bless them in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay.